Hello, I'm Neil Whelan and welcome to the Wesleyan Podcast. With it being the start of the new year, we've tidied the place up, given it a lick of paint, and are getting ready to provide you with some fresh new content for the year ahead. With the effects of the coronavirus pandemic and the Brexit deal still having huge implications on the UK economy, that means we'll be focusing mainly on the stock markets and investments, with expert analysis from our award-winning in-house investments team. But we'll also throw in occasional episodes featuring interviews with young doctors and dentists as part of our Next Step initiative, as well as updates on our CR work and the Wesleyan Foundation. Obviously, 2020 was difficult for everyone, and even a couple of weeks into 2021, we can see that things are still going to be incredibly tough in the months ahead. That's why our Chief Executive, Mario Mazzocchi, has sent a message out to every customer, reminding them we remain here for you. It's a reminder you can still book virtual appointments with our financial consultants, and that our customer contact centres for Wesleyan, Wesleyan Bank and Practice Plan remain open to support you however they can. Customers also have free access to the Wesleyan Wellbeing Hub, a 24-7 hub for health and wellbeing advice. You can find out about all this and more on our dedicated COVID information site at covid19.wesleyan.co.uk. Right then, on with the show. In this episode, Wesleyan's Director of Investments, Martin Lawrence, talks to James Heaney, the Investments Communications Manager, about market movements in 2020, the effect of COVID-19, and what the impact of all this will be on our funds this year. As always, I need to remind you this podcast is for information purposes only and isn't financial advice. And with that, let's hear what they have to say. Martin, could you just sum up quite quickly for me what was going on in 2020? Yes, of course. No, thanks, James. Uh, 2020 was a uh, was a very very unusual year for many reasons, um, but it actually started off okay. The first few weeks of 2020, actually, um, markets were pretty calm and, and things were looking all right. But it was when we got towards the back end of February and the start of March, and the COVID-19 pandemic really began to hit fully, that we saw the impact on markets. And by impact, I mean within just two weeks, we'd seen the UK stock market, for example, fall by nearly one third, which the speed of that really was was unprecedented. I mean, it's, it's an overused word, but it was an incredible fall in, in you know such a, a short period of time. There was some recovery for the rest of the year, and in fact, um, you could almost categorise the year into two parts: kind of the first ten months and then the last two months. Because in the last two months, um, certainly at the start of November, we saw the trial results from the from the vaccines, and that's really when things changed for the better. So, uh, as far as our funds were concerned, um, the first part of the year was very difficult for us because we face these really strong headwinds of equities that were underperforming other asset classes. And by other asset classes, I mean like government bond markets, corporate bond markets and cash itself. And not only that, but within stock markets themselves, the UK stock market was underperforming other developed markets around the world by really a quite significant margin. And that just gave us um, really this strong headwind I referred to regarding our fund performance. But that then did turn more positively after the vaccine trial results. So for the last two months of the year, we had much better performance. And I'm pleased to say that's continued so far into 2021. Great. Thanks, Martin. And also, you know, you mentioned about the year of two halves, if you like. So if we take a look at that first half, COVID-19, massive impact, but also Brexit as well, which then obviously got resolved in terms of the deal between the UK and the EU right at the end of 2020. Yes, I mean, Brexit was a story that was going along in the background. In fact, if it wasn't for COVID-19, I suspect Brexit would have been the number one story, particularly for UK investors to focus on. 
Um, but don't forget, Brexit dates back a long way. This goes back to the referendum of 2016. And we've been trying to get these agreements in place ever since. 2020 in particular, we were looking at the trade agreement. And as you alluded to, we did finally get uh, the deal agreed pretty much on Christmas Eve. Um, and the markets did take that well. But I, I, I sound slightly hesitant on that because the COVID-19 story really was the one that dominated. But going forward, we do need to see how this Brexit deal works out in terms of trading with our European partners and also other countries because there are other trade deals that need to be done. And also, don't forget, the trade deal only covered goods. Uh, it doesn't co cover the service sector. And, you know, the UK economy, broadly speaking, is about 80 percent services. So the vast majority of the UK economy is not covered by this trade deal. So we, we need to be a bit cautious in terms of, you know, how we describe the, uh, the signing of the deal. Of course. And when referring to those kind of two months at the end of 2020, where market performance seemed to pick up quite significantly, We've seen that trend continue in January 2021 to date. But what are the kind of things that the team are looking out for, Martin, you and the fund managers? What are the kind of key events that you think could maybe shape markets in 2021? Yes, I mean, 2021 and beyond, and I say beyond because we're longer term investors, there is a more positive backdrop, certainly for the uh, the story behind stock markets. And this has got uh, you know many factors. One of them is, is playing out as we speak, which is the US political situation, whereby with Joe Biden coming in as president, there is this, uh, you know, this big blue wave that was described ahead of the US elections. Well, that big blue wave didn't happen. And this was... Uh, interpreted as uh, the Democrats taking the presidency, but also maintaining their majority in the House, you know, House of Representatives, and also taking the Senate from the Republicans. In the event, um, they did get the presidency, yes, but they had a reduced majority in the House, and they only by a wafer thin margin have got the majority by casting vote in the Senate. Now, from a stock market point of view, why does that matter? That just means that there is better regulation, if you like around US lawmaking. So because it's tighter, he's not going to get all of his policies through quite so easily. But equally, the backdrop to global trade is better because um, there is likely to be a more calmer tone to negotiations between the US and other countries than maybe we've seen in the past few years. With Biden coming in, how do you see trade relationships developing across the world? Because China-US trade relations were a big hot topic, if you like, weren't they? Not that long ago. And it kind of got forgotten a bit with COVID and Brexit and other issues. No, you're absolutely right, because as we came into 2020, when I said there was a kind of calm start to the year, we were talking about phase one trade deal you know, back then and, and the you know, the likelihood of phase two and et cetera. Now, what we've seen so far um, from Joe Biden is he has said that he will abide by the phase one trade deal for now, which is almost him saying, let me get my feet under the table and have a proper look at this. The expectation based on the history of him as a politician is that he will have a calmer tone to those trade negotiations, particularly with China, though that doesn't mean it'll be an easy ride because there are still hostilities regarding areas like intellectual property, etc. Now, that's not particularly different between Democrats and Republicans. So it isn't going to be game changingly different. But the calmer tone is something markets prefer because don't forget, markets hate uncertainty and they feel that with 
you know, with the combination of Biden and, and Kamala Harris, that there is going to be a little bit more predictability about what happens from here. And that, again, is part of the calmer backdrop that we see for markets going forward. And given what we've discussed so far, Martin, in terms of Brexit, COVID-19, the pandemic, uh, Biden going into the White House, with all those factors and other ones that you and the team are looking at, has that changed your strategy in any way or the funds and how they're positioned? It has. I mean, in, in some ways, it, it already did last year. Um, we have had, uh, I guess there are two things that we're pushing generally, and, and this is we are diversifying more and more overseas. So historically, we've had quite a UK bias and a UK equity bias. We are uh, gently, where appropriate, because it's not true for all funds, but where appropriate, we are moving more in an overseas direction. And this is driven by the research that we can talk about if you wish, or it's driven by our desire to actually just spread this out a bit. Now, if you go back to the market falls from Q1 of 2020, so February, March, April 2020, when markets came off, we focused on the negatives in terms of the impact it had on our fund performance. But there is one big positive to our approach to investment, and that's our contracyclical nature. So as markets came down, prices became cheaper, is the translation, and we use those cheap prices to buy more of these overseas shares. We already had done the research on these shares. We knew which ones we wanted to buy. And, and to be blunt, we just wanted cheaper entry points. And that's certainly what the pandemic gave us. So it gave us the opportunity to get into names that in some cases we not invested before. In others, we were topping up on existing holdings. And these would be names by, because I know you're going to ask me, um, software, people on Microsoft, Activision Blizzard, in um, aeroplane manufacturers, Airbus, Boeing, uh, even uh, Alphabet, who are the, the parent company for the uh, well-known Google, and then Apple, the iPhone maker, German chemicals company, BASF, uh, US Financial, Citigroup, MasterCard, media businesses, I could go on. Perfect. And I think that's great, Martin, that you've really flagged some of the names that you've been buying as a result of the team's research into those companies, and you were just waiting for the right entry point, as you called it. But for everyone listening, could you just kind of spell out what that really means in terms of the research that the team does to get to that decision, if you like? Yeah, these are the hidden gems behind the scenes. So uh, thank you for giving me the opportunity to, to flag them, really. The, My pleasure. One, one thing we have is this in-house team of investment analysts. Now, these are people who dedicate you know, their careers to researching other businesses and to doing all of, of the detailed modeling, asking questions of management and building a picture for the fund managers of how good an investment that company may or may not be. And this is for both companies that we're already invested in, but as I alluded to earlier, it's potentially new names that we want to move into. So they are doing, they're effectively our researchers in the background. Um, and what they do on, on the behalf of, of policyholders, if you like, is they do the research. They would then present that investment case to the fund manager of one of our funds. And, and between the two of them, they can then debate. Uh, in fact, we, we quite often have the team meetings where we all debate it. Um, to see whether we think it's a good idea. We can kick the tires, if you like, on those ideas. And it's that that helps shape the portfolios. So to be clear, whilst there is a fund manager who is totally responsible for the performance and everything within the fund, he is taking advice from these hidden gems known as the investment analyst who are doing a lot of the work for them. Not all of it. Some of the fund managers do some of the research themselves, but they are there to support them and to share it around the team. And with that research, Martin, 
I know, for example, that they're looking into the kind of company's report and accounts and profit and loss and, and projections and business plans and speaking to management. But could you bring that to life with an example, uh, a recent one, if possible, whereby an analyst has recommended a particular company and had that discussion with a fund manager? Yes, there, there have been uh, you know lots and lots of examples, but this is it, it's twofold, really. Not, not only is it, you know, you're looking for examples of, of ideas that we put into funds, and I can give you a lot of those, but actually it's the access they have to the company's management per se that's a defining factor as well. Because if I were a private investor and I wanted to invest in, in you know, pick a, a business such as Disney, um, and, and you know, David Carberry's done a lot of great work on Disney, we can do so much at home, but as an institutional investor, we have the ability to get in front of their investor relations team, speak to their senior management and pose the questions that we have to them, which just helps to fill in some of the gaps. And that's the kind of the added value, if you like, that, that we have. So uh, you wanted the example. So you know, Disney is one. We, we looked into the business there and David had recommended that to the fund managers that it should go into some of the funds. Again, we need to be careful. Only the funds that it is appropriate to hold in that case you know american domiciled media business and then the debate can happen with the fund managers and, and when they come to an agreement then the, the the idea goes into the funds so that's just one of many but this is going on day in day out and it's in some ways it's you, you look under a lot of rocks sort of thing not everything we look into we end up buying in fact we walk away probably from more than we actually end up investing in but that's part of the research and the filtering process Great, thanks, Martin. And just to kind of wrap things up, because everyone listening is going to be keen on hearing about fund performance and, and particularly what's going to happen in 2021. Now, we can't forecast or predict what's going to happen to markets. Just in terms of summarising impacts on certain asset classes and what that would mean for funds, for example, if um, equities were to go up in the UK, would that have an impact on our funds, for example? Yes, it would. I mean, the uh, we we can look at various asset classes. I'll I'll, I'll keep it brief, but we um, we are positive on stock markets generally, and the UK in particular. And the UK is more to do with the valuation of the market. So I know I've talked about we are diversifying overseas where appropriate. But if we look in the cold light of day of where we currently are, it's actually a lot of the UK shares that look cheap to us. Now, in places, we're already there. So there's nothing we need to do other than wait for the values to come our way, if you like. For, and what I mean by this is wait for the market to, to come around to our way of thinking in terms of seeing the underlying true value of these businesses. Um, but for other asset classes, we, we've got some concerns about inflation. So if I were to generalise, we've got to be a little bit mindful of if inflation starts to tick up. And that is a question, which is why I say if. And this is to do with because of how we've had to solve the COVID-19 problem economically, putting money into the system, you know, government bailouts, furlough schemes. Is there an impact further down the line on inflation of issuing all this government debt to pay for it? So that's something we've got to be very cognizant of. And that would impact things like the fixed income markets, government bonds, corporate bonds, which is another reason why we say we're a bit more positive about stock markets because of this better backdrop we have. So for the funds that are exposed to equities, so typically these are our mixed asset funds and some of the higher rated ones, uh, we certainly have a very positive outlook on the returns we think from here going forward. Um, some of the fixed interest funds, we need to just be a, a bit more aware of the potential returns going forward because they've had some very good years to date and we need to be uh, just mindful of that.
And that's our show for this week. Thanks to Martin and James for their insight. If you want to find out more about investing with Wesleyan, you can go to the website at wesleyan.co.uk and look under the Investments and Savings tab. And if you just want to learn a bit more about what we're up to, we're on Twitter at Wesleyan or search for us on Facebook and LinkedIn. But that's it for now. Thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next time.